The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, this is Mike Boudet. After the show, go check out the latest episode of Sword and Scale Rewind, number 123, where I drop in with Stephanie and Matt to talk about the Star Wars-obsessed killer, Adrian Loya. Just search for Sword and Scale Rewind on any podcast player. Sword and Scale contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Fear is irrational. Like most instinctual emotions, fear does not respond in a sober and measured way based on factual information. It's primal. It's animalistic. For the most part, we fear things that don't make sense. The monsters in the dark waiting for their turn to strike. We lock our doors at night, turn on our fancy alarm systems, and some of us even check to make sure a gun is nearby, adequately stocked with ammunition. We fear the outside world and all of the uncertainty that comes with it. We fear the depravity of man and what can happen when it's unleashed. But how logical is this fear? After more than 140 episodes, we've been telling you that this evil is all around us. This darkness inside each and every one of us is part of who we are. Sure, we've been playing into those fears to some degree, but do you know that there are many, many more things to fear other than homicidal psychopaths and face-eating junkies? There are fears that actually make sense, that are actually based on factual information and statistics. In fact, out of the top 15 causes of human death, murder at the hands of another isn't even on the list. Instead, 
almost all the top causes are based in disease. Heart disease, cancer, respiratory disease, diabetes. You are about 45 times more likely to die of cardiovascular disease than you are of being murdered. 45 times. There are only two forms of unnatural death on the list. Way down at the bottom at number 15, there is suicide. But higher up, close to the very top, is a very mortal danger we take for granted almost every day of our lives. Vehicular accidents. There's a reason old Elon is building self-driving cars. Our daily commutes are mundane. We spend the drive distracted by music or our favorite podcasts. Sometimes the drive itself is so forgettable that we zone out completely, go into a sort of human autopilot, and even forget where we're going. There have been many times where I've driven to work on a Saturday when I just meant to go down to the grocery store. And nowadays, texting and checking our social media has become so addictive that we risk our very lives doing so. Sure, we can make sure we're going straight and we don't hit the car in front of us while sending just the right emoji. But what happens when an unforeseen event unfolds on the road in just a matter of seconds and we don't have time to react? What if instead of cars around you with equally distracted drivers all going in the same direction in their morning fog, there was a car coming directly at you, driving against traffic towards you en route to a head-on collision? In 2016, 1.3 million people died worldwide from road accidents. That's much higher than the 391,000 that were intentionally murdered. Today, we're going to examine a few cases of the phenomenon of wrong-way drivers. Buckle up. It's going to be a hell of a ride. During the early morning on Sunday, July 26, 2009, 36-year-old Diane Schuler and her husband Daniel awoke to begin packing the vehicles up from their camping trip at Hunter Lake Campgrounds in South New York. With them on the trip were their five-year-old son, two-year-old daughter, and three nieces aged eight, seven, and five. As normal. She was fine. We had a cup of coffee in the morning. We packed the cars up. Like we always do, we head it out. Just like every other weekend or every weekend we go up there. They got all their children up from their tents to head back home. Diane was in charge of driving the kids in her brother's red 2003 Ford Windstar minivan, while Daniel would drive his truck carrying the camping gear and their dog. The family departed the campground roughly around 9.30 a.m. As they traveled back to their home, Diane stopped at a McDonald's for a quick bite to eat, and then to a gas station nearby. After getting back on the road 
Eight-year-old Emma, Diane's niece, phoned her father, Warren Hance. The first conversation was we had a great time. We were going to run a little bit late because they had play practice. And Diane said, Warren, we're running a little bit late. Emma and all the girls said they had a wonderful time. After Emma and Warren spoke, Diane got on the phone with her brother, letting him know that they were stuck in traffic. Quickly, though, things began to change in the car ride. Emma realized that her aunt was appearing to be quite ill. She phoned her father, who didn't answer. After attempts to reach Warren, Emma reached out to her father's best friend, Brad, who quickly notified law enforcement for assistance to find them. We're trying to locate the kids, and they, the best they could the best they could come up with was that they were on they were at the Tarrytown Rest Center. I'm trying to help a friend of mine. Uh, his sister took his his girls camping. They're, they're very young girls. The oldest is nine. The girl the girls just called in distress. They said that the, the aunt is driving very erratically. We think she's sick. The aunt isn't picking up the cell phone right now. Drivers on Interstate 87 noticed a red minivan being driven erratically flashing headlights, honking its horn, and switching between lanes in an unsafe manner. Other witnesses saw a woman outside of the van on the shoulder of the interstate, bent over as if vomiting. After Warren was notified by his friend, he began frantically trying to call his sister, but there was no answer. Warren also contacted the state troopers, requesting any assistance to find his family. Captain Evelyn Mallard took the call and notified other troopers. I have a family here that thinks that they might have a medical emergency of their sister. There's three kids in the car, five. They're trying to locate her. All the while, Warren and Brad were talking with state troopers. Diane began heading southbound on the northbound lanes of the Taconic State Parkway. One final call came in from Diane's phone. The call was from Emma to her mother, Jackie. Mommy, something's wrong with Aunt Diane. And I didn't understand. I said, what, what do you mean? And, and I could hear um, Allison crying in the background. I said, let me talk to Aunt Diane. And so Diane got on the phone and well, she just kept saying, they're playing, they're having fun. She just didn't sound right. The minivan traveled nearly two miles in the wrong direction before colliding with a 2004 Chevy Trailblazer carrying three adult passengers. At the time of the impact, it's estimated Diane was traveling around 85 miles an hour. Upon colliding, the red 2003 Ford minivan burst into flames and rolled into a field. All of the children were ejected out of the vehicle, while Diane remained inside, burning Alive. A horrific head-on crash north of New York City has left eight people dead, including four adults and four young children. It happened Sunday afternoon in Westchester County, New York, when police say a woman driving her son, daughter, and three nieces in a minivan headed southbound in the northbound lanes of the Taconic Parkway. Investigators say the minivan slammed into an SUV, hit a third vehicle, and rolled over an embankment, bursting into flames. Emergency services at the scene were shocked at the sight they were seeing vehicle was completely engulfed with uh, a woman that was burning. Were the other and, people thrown from the vehicle? Yeah, several people were ejected, most of them children. And uh, we prioritized and we were able to save one young child's life. 
Danielle and Diane's young five-year-old son, Brian, was the only survivor of the tragic accident. In the other vehicle were 49-year-old Guy Bastardi, his 81-year-old father, Michael, and their family friend, 74-year-old Daniel Longo. In the aftermath of the accident, the Schuler, Hans, and Bastardi families looked into every possible way this terrible accident could have occurred. It wouldn't be until Diane's autopsy results were released that they would get any answers at all. It turns out, the toxicology report stated her blood alcohol level was 0.19, twice the legal limit. The theory was she had downed at least 10 drinks and smoked marijuana up to 15 times before the crash occurred. But those who had seen Diane before the accident occurred seemed to think she appeared completely sober. Ann Scott, owner of Hunter Lake Campgrounds, where Diane, Daniel, their children, and nieces had stayed, recounted what she remembered from that morning. If she was in the store and had alcohol on her breath, I sure didn't smell it. For Michael Bastardi, who had lost both his brother and father in the crash, there were too many questions and not enough answers. You know, it's just kind of like disbelief right now, you know, how um, someone could jump in a car, put five kids in a car, and drink. How could other people not know? When you have five kids supposedly leaving the campground or wherever she was coming from, you know, from the morning to when the accident happened at 1.30, these are all questions that my family want to know. We want to know the truth. Daniel believed that Diane had suffered from an unidentified medical condition that caused her bizarre actions that day. Inside the wreckage that was the van Diane was driving that day, investigators at the scene found a broken bottle of vodka. For Jackie, Diane's sister-in-law, this didn't make any sense. I never knew her to drink, so why would she be drinking with my kids in the car and her kids in the car? Like, it's in, no, just, no. I just thought, it's impossible. And it, it was a mistake. After all was said and done, a total of four lawsuits were filed. Three of those came after the estate of Diane Schuler, while her husband Daniel sued his brother-in-law Warren and Warren's wife Jackie. All of the families have tried to move forward past this horrendous incident. Warren and Jackie Hance were blessed with their fourth daughter. They were my life. They were the reason I was put here, I believe. Because they were really, just really amazing girls. I love you all. Make a silly face. It just gives you a meaning again. When you lose everything and then you get something to hold on to, there's really no, no way to be able to describe it. She brings a heartbeat to this house again. There was none. She brought us back to life. The Taconic Park crash is one of the most intriguing and well-known cases of a wrong way crash. One with more questions than answers. The case has been featured in the daytime shows of both Dr. Phil and Oprah Winfrey. It inspired an episode of Law & Order entitled Doped. And there's even an HBO documentary called There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane that explores just how 
This person may have been able to hide their addiction from even those closest to her, self-medicating herself with drugs and alcohol when nobody was looking. To this day, the Schuler family persists in refusing to accept Diane Schuler's autopsy reports. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On October 8th, 2016, 36-year-old Stephen Borgoyne walked into the University of Vermont Medical Center emergency room. He didn't check in as a patient or a visitor, and had caught the attention of the on-site security as he lingered about. He wasn't doing anything strange, but uh, he hadn't checked in as a patient or as a visitor, so I went out to find out what he was doing there and see if I could help him. Security officer Joseph Miller observed as Stephen said nothing. He stared at a sign on the wall, as if he were stuck inside his own head. He had been looking at uh, a sign on the wall that was a study seeking volunteers, and I saw that he was reading it and I offered to write the number down for him. Stephen turned to Joseph and agreed to have him write the number down. He accepted, and I gave it to him my notepad that we carry, and then he left. After Stephen walked out of the emergency room waiting area, Joseph watched as he walked out into the parking lot. Quickly, Joseph headed back to the security room so he could watch in real time what Stephen was doing. We hadn't uh, established what he was doing in the department yet, and wanted to see what he was doing next. Sometimes people will um, you know, say that they're leaving and they'll kind of go to the corner and they'll turn around and go into the cafeteria or something and just wanted to see if he was really leaving since it wasn't clear what he was doing there. But this wasn't the only time Stephen would show up to the medical center. In fact, he showed up there two more times later that same day. Less than an hour later, Stephen drove his Toyota Tundra pickup truck back to the medical center and parked in the parking lot, which had caught the attention of Joseph. Why would he be back? 
He didn't need anything before. It just seemed really odd. Joseph wanted to establish contact with Stephen again to make sure everything was okay. As someone who's there to protect patients as well as staff, this behavior seemed to be very much out of the ordinary. We've had certainly situations where staff or visitors have a, like a stalker or an ex-boyfriend or something who they don't want visiting them. Well, it was still a very open-ended interaction that I had with him. Certainly by, by the resolution of this, when I saw that he was checking in, the questions were pretty much answered. That's okay, he's here to check in. Nothing more of that uh, story, and I, he was off my radar at that point. After getting checked into the emergency room, Stephen was called to the triage area. He said that he was there for relationship concerns and some concerns related to uh, safe housing. It turns out that Stephen was having a mental health crisis, something the triage nurse was taking very seriously for his safety and the safety of others. So when people come with concerns of like similar to that, they land on an epic screen for mental health when they have a crisis as a concern. We are triggered to ask questions about if they are suicidal or homicidal. So those questions were asked of Mr. Rigori. He denied those questions. The truth is, Stephen was going through a hard time in his life. His engagement had ended. He was only allowed to see his daughter once a week in a supervised state. He was unemployed, and he was using marijuana on a regular basis. After seeing a physician in the crisis unit, Stephen left, only to show back up a few hours later in the same state of mind. According to his ex-fiance, while driving in the car in the days prior to Stephen visiting the hospital, he had threatened to drive himself, her, and their daughter into a pond, killing them all so they could be together. It was very clear that something was very wrong. Around 11.44 p.m. on the evening of October 8th, 911 calls from drivers on Interstate 89 came flooding in. Hi, I'm on Interstate 89 heading south, um, exit 11. I just passed the cars on the wrong way on the wrong side of the highway. He was flying. Northbound downtown side? Correct. Just passed exit 11. He headed up the hill. I mean, he was flying. All right, we're going. I believe we're already getting called on it, okay? So we'll okay. What did the vehicle look like? I think it looked like a Chevy Blazer, maybe. I don't know. He was going to the back and the headlights flying. I was trying to get the hell out of the way. Here are excerpts from some of the other calls that had come in at around the same time. Oh, man, I hope they get this person before they hurt someone. He just screamed by me at 100 miles an hour. By the time these calls had come in, it was far too late. The person who had been driving northbound in the southbound lanes had violently smashed into a Volkswagen Jetta. As normal traffic continued, a man and his wife noticed a car in the distance, pulled off on the shoulder of the road with its hazard lights on. Getting out of his vehicle, 
he noticed the wrecked vehicle in the middle of the passing lane, as well as another vehicle in the embankment. When he got near the wreckage, there was a man standing there, observing the crash. I guess the first thing I noticed is that he was standing close to the wreckage of the cab of the truck, and he had uh, facial hair, and he uh, spoke to me, I believe, before I said anything to him. He just says, I don't know what happened, I just lost control, in, in kind of that cadence. Okay. I think I was, yeah. The man who was standing there was Stephen Borgoin. Police arrived on scene and had begun trying to extinguish the flames from the Jetta. After the fire was partially put out, deputies began trying to get whoever was inside the vehicle out. But the other image I did see, again, right around that same time as the officers coming from Williston, is at least two individuals uh, pulling what looked like the body of a, of a female uh, away from the car. A critical care nurse who had also been traveling down the interstate stopped to provide help. He did what he could after they were able to get the young woman's body away from the car. We wanted to get her away from the car, so we got her away from the car, turned her over, and she was she was not breathing and had no pulse. So we started to do CPR. While working on the young victim, police noticed there were others inside the car that was still on fire. The police officer went up to the car and tried to get the, the rear door open. It was locked and it obviously burned his hand. And then he pounded on the window and was yelling, you know, get out of the car, get out of the car. Four other people were trapped inside the Jetta, but this incident was far from over. While everyone was trying to help those trapped inside, Stephen disappeared. A police cruiser parked at the scene began driving through the debris, continuing on a southbound path. Prior to leaving, the vehicle had been the only source of light that was helping to illuminate the scene. I noticed that it was dark again. I felt like it was illuminated by the lights at one point. And then now it was, there weren't any more lights. And, um, and then around the same time, an, another cruiser is coming down the highway from Williston. It went, I was very confused when the cruiser, the second cruiser came, kind of swerved, slowed down and swerved around me. I remember feeling like, oh, I can get something, like another fire extinguisher. And he swerved around me and then just kept going. And I was baffled by that. I didn't know. But it wasn't another police cruiser coming to help. When Stephen walked away from the scene, he jumped into one of the unoccupied police vehicles and began driving away from the crash at a high rate of speed. This time, he was heading the correct way on Interstate 89. As Williston police officer Brian Claffey arrived on the scene, he saw flashing lights in the distance heading away from the crash. He was then advised that a cruiser had been stolen. And so did you continue southbound on Interstate 89? I did. How long were you driving southbound? Oh, I'm going to take a guess, probably about a mile and a half. Okay. And you, did you stop? I did stop uh, just south 
Officer Nadu from the Richmond Police Department advised us that he was at the U-turn by just north of exit 11. Um, and he saw the cruiser stop and then turn around. Officer Claffey pulled over and advised a van driving behind him to stop and get off the road. The stolen cruiser sped past him towards the site of the original crash. He radioed in to the officers, letting them know that the vehicle was coming back towards them at a speed in excess of 100 miles an hour. Shortly after this call, he heard 1050 come through the radio, which meant there had been another collision. Claffey was shocked by what he had seen when he arrived back to where it all started. There was a lot more debris. Quite honestly, it looked like a, a, a bomb went off or a war zone. I was kind of in shock at all that what happened, but uh, there was more victims now that we had uh, injured. There was a car on its side in the ditch off to the, the slow passing lane, but it was in the ditch on its side with somebody inside of it. As Stephen barreled towards the crash site, he hit seven other cars and smashed back into the Jetta, once again setting it ablaze. All of the occupants in the Jetta that evening were only 15 and 16 years of age. Every one of them died that night. Stephen himself was in bad shape after the incident and was taken back to the University of Vermont Medical Center. Stephen Bourgeon has been in critical condition since the incident on Saturday. He hasn't been charged yet in the crash that killed the teens between the ages of 15 and 16, but he was arrested for his alleged use of a police cruiser. Police said that after crashing into the teen's car, he took a police cruiser and crashed into seven more cars. Less than a week after the accident, on October 14th, Stephen was wheeled into a conference room at the hospital on a bed, still in very bad shape to be arraigned on charges stemming from the events of October 8th. He was charged with five counts of murder. And what is the estate's position regarding conditions of release? Judge, we'd ask that uh, Mr. Brigoyne be held without bail. Uh, we filed a motion early this morning. I think Mr. Kinos will not object to that pending the competency evaluation. That's correct, Judge. Okay, so I will uh, issue the order um, that Mr. Brigoyne be held without bail and then what I'll do then is, if you, when you request the hearing, then if you contact the clerk's office and we'll uh, set a hearing then uh, on that motion. Thank you, sir. Okay. All right. Is there anything else in that we should cover today? No, Your Honor. Okay. Okay. Thank you. When Stephen's trial began in May of this year, his defense team wanted to show that their client was psychotic at the time of the crash due to overwhelming stress. They claimed that Stephen had believed he was on a secret mission for the United States government and was receiving messages from normal things such as the car radio or television. Could he have been one of those alleged targeted individuals? Or was this just another case of schizophrenia? But the prosecution alleged Stephen was in a bout of rage. And that in the months and years leading up to the crash, everything there was to know about Stephen's anger issues showed he was more than capable and more than willing to commit such a horrendous act. So rather than relying on what Mr. Burgoyne told these doctors about his history and how he was behaving in the months, weeks before the crashes, let's talk a little bit about what the evidence showed. 
In 2014, Mr. Burgoyne assaulted the mother of his child, Anila Lawrence. He grabbed her, he pulled her hair, and he, when asked about it by Dr. Rosmarin, he stated that his ex this experience was traumatic for him. He stated that she upset him. And in 2016, when he again assaulted Miss Lawrence, he pushed her, he held her against the wall while she held their baby. And then when she attempted to leave, he took control of their vehicle for over 45 minutes while she asked to leave, demanding that they split custody and that if they didn't, he would drive them all off the road into a pond, killing them all. And when asked about this later, he stated that he did it, but he didn't do it intentionally. That she got in his way, so he pushed her out of the way. That he did threaten them, but he didn't mean that either. He was just <coughs> telling them that he could drive them all off into a pond and kill them. Not that he would. Stephen's girlfriend at the time had told investigators that on the day of the crash, he was very angry because he couldn't get his hands on any marijuana and was acting very out of character. On May 22, 2019, after 16 days of trial and 12 hours of deliberations, the jury had finalized their verdict. With regard to count two, the charge involving the second degree murder of Cyrus Shao, how did the jury find? Charge guilty of second degree murder. Was that verdict unanimous? Yes. With regard to count three, the second degree murder involving Liam Hale, how did the jury find? Found Stephen Borgoyne was found guilty of five counts of second degree murder and charges stemming from stealing the police cruiser to causing additional injuries at the scene of the accident. The verdict came just shy of when 16-year-olds Eli Brookins, Mary Harris, Liam Hale, Cyrus Show, and 15-year-old Janny Kazi were due to graduate from high school. The young teenagers were just on their way from a concert when Stephen Burgoyne made a decision that took all of their lives and destroyed the lives of all of the people that cared about them and loved them. Like an atom bomb, a single explosion followed by ripples of endless damage, seemingly extending in every direction. All right, what's going on guys? McSkillet here with another video. This is McSkillet. Today I thought I would switch it up and just do a real life video because I've been seeing plenty of new car videos on YouTube for the longest time. And people seem to like those videos. They seem to get a lot of views. So yes, I did say McSkillet. And for this video, I want to do a really big giveaway. And this one, you don't even have to put a Steam uh, link or anything. This is just 10 $100 Steam gift cards. Yeah, the lady at Best Buy was very confused when I bought these. Just wait for it. 
But uh, yeah, just like, comment, subscribe, and I'll reply to the winning comments saying that I sent you a PM on YouTube, and I'll even say how you check your PMs on YouTube if you don't know how to, because it's kind of weird now. But yeah, this is actually my car. Now, it's not actually like my new car, because I've had it for a few months now. But uh, so yeah, if I put new car in the video, the new part is the part you're clickbaited on, not the part itself like where the youtubers just like go and film some car they're like looking at or like make some like sort of meme video which it was funny when PewDiePie did it but I feel like at this point I mean people just want to see like the actual cars and stuff that youtubers actually have. This video is from YouTube and a McLaren is a $450,000 sports car. But this is the McLaren 650S of course and I'm just doing the audio recording over the uh, footage as you can probably tell because I don't really know how to be like a YouTube vlogger I don't really have like a live audio setup but yeah this car is 641 horsepower and it beats just about every single other supercar in a drag race and I'm not, not talking about like hypercars like Porsche 918 Spider, but we're talking about like even like a Lamborghini Aventador, uh, Huracan, any, any of the Ferraris it beats all of those. As technology has rapidly evolved New fads and trends have shaped this thing that we call the internet. Could you imagine 10 years ago that people would be streaming themselves playing games online? Or more importantly, that other people would actually watch them? If you did, would you imagine that the players would then be making a whole hell of a lot of money doing this? Well, believe it or not, here we are in the new age of Twitch. At just 18 years old, Trevor Heitman was known online as McSkillet, and he was one of those players. Trevor loved to play the first-person competitive online game called CSGO, or Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Not only was he very good at this game, but he was also good at turning this into a career path that made him a lot of money. As most modern-day streamers do, they wanted to spread the wealth with their fans and supporters by doing giveaways frequently. In the video you heard just previously, Trevor went out and purchased 10 $100 Steam gift cards to give away to the fans who supported his YouTube channel. But fame and fortune sometimes isn't all it's cracked up to be, especially when money comes so fast and so easy. In January of 2018, Trevor had lost almost $100,000 of cosmetic skins on Counter-Strike, and his Steam account had a trade ban placed upon it due to online gambling with the website CSGO Magic. This trade ban meant he was unable to trade or sell any of his collection of digital items. I did talk to McSkillet quite some time ago, and he told me he's now been trade banned for about four to five months, and that was actually a month or two ago. So yes, McSkillet was actually trade banned, I believe, for the, for the time being, around six months ago, and has trimmed trade banned ever since. He did actually tell me through Twitter DMs, which I will not show you guys, but I can, I'm not going to lie to you about this. He actually was going to tell his viewership about why he was banned and what he did. Apparently, it was a small mistake on his end, and he never made that video for his viewers. So yes, I'm going to link a great video down below to go into detail about what skins were actually banned on his account. It's going to be an insane inventory to go 
through a lot of $10,000 plus skins, a lot of, you know, several thousand dollar skins in his inventory. And as of right now, he will not be getting them back. Now, alleged rumors right now as well. I'll link his trade link and Steam profile down below. The trade ban does not show up on his actual Steam account, but if you go to try and trade with him, you can clearly see he is trade banned. And on top of that as well, and it might also be alleged rumors saying his ties to CSGO Magic, CSGO Kingdom, other sites out there he's been affiliated with. And uh, you guys are very well aware that Valve does uh, tend to trade ban a lot of accounts and bot accounts that are actually, or inventory accounts that are tied to any of those gambling websites. And it just so happened McSkillet was one of those people. So according to him, uh, you know, in DMs with him, he, he made a small mistake. He was gonna make us all aware of exactly what he did to get trade banned. He has never made that video. Will he make it now that he's been, I guess you could say called out or been, been brought to light? Most likely not. He really has no reason to, but it is quite sad to see all those amazing skins now seemingly go to waste. Not long after the news broke in the gaming community, the usually active YouTuber seemed to just disappear. It was said that Trevor had spiraled into depression quickly. On August 18th, he told his parents that he believed he was having a meltdown. A few days later, Trevor told his mother that he had driven his McLaren 150 miles an hour through a 25 mile an hour school zone and was traveling in the wrong direction. His parents knew there was something very wrong, something even more wrong than an 18-year-old having a McLaren. But Trevor wouldn't open up to them. Instead, on August 23rd, Trevor's parents had found him crying in the early morning before he fell asleep for a few hours. Upon awakening, he grabbed his car keys and noticed that his McLaren was parked in front of his father's vehicle. Being in the stable frame of mind that he was, Trevor got into his car and rammed his dad's vehicle so he could get out of the driveway and then drove away from his Carmel Valley home. His father began trying to contact him, and when Trevor answered the phone, his dad asked him what he would think when the cops found him. Trevor said neither the police or their bullets could hurt him. His parents then contacted the San Diego police in an attempt to get the young man a psychiatric evaluation, but the officer stated nothing could be done as Trevor had not yet broken any laws. Little did they know the chaos that was about to ensue on Interstate 805. Trevor entered the wrong way on Interstate 805 and began traveling against traffic in the HOV lane at a high rate of speed. His McLaren collided with an SUV containing a 43-year-old woman and her 12-year-old daughter. The impact of the crash caused both vehicles to burst into flames. I can tell you, based on my personal experience as an officer with the California Highway Patrol, I've been to several horrible crashes. The speeds to, to do what he did to that vehicle, that vehicle was completely disintegrated at that scene, for lack of better words. Uh, high speeds, uh, you know, I can't be specific, but... Um, so but witnesses say over 100, would you say that that could corroborate with your own? It could corroborate with the amount of damage that was sustained at that scene. Trevor was killed instantly from blunt force trauma while the mother and daughter in the other vehicle were trapped as they burned to death from the engulfment of fire. For those in the gaming community, it was hard to know whether or not Trevor was actually the one involved in the car accident. It was just something they didn't want to believe. 
but not long after the crash, the news came out and identified him as the driver of the wrong way crash. The wrong way driver has been identified as YouTube and e-game star Trevor Heitman. In the aftermath of the crash, people in the esports industry are still torn on whether it was an accident, questioning if Trevor simply took the wrong exit, or that he was in a manic state and unintentionally drove the wrong way. But the outcome of the crash and the fate of Trevor means that we will never really know just what went through his mind that day. It's a sobering reminder that we never really know the state of mind of anyone sharing the road with us. Our complacency in assuming everything is going to be okay is highly misplaced. Everyone on earth goes through things, deals with things, some in more healthy ways than others. And when one of us gets behind the wheel of a one-ton missile with the wrong frame of mind. Everyone else out there is a potential target, just going about their mundane, day-to-day lives. Okay, here we go. This is uh, Daddy and Cal having some uh, apple strawberry, which we like, don't we? We like apple strawberry. It's very delicious. But in a minute, we're gonna have to have veggies. The chicken quinoa. Okay. Here we go. Mmm, that's delicious. In early January of 2018, 29-year-old Ryan Folsom departed from his home in Medford, Oregon to begin a West Coast trip of interviews for a possible medical residency. His wife, Lauren, who was pregnant at the time with the couple's third child, and his two sons stayed home while he was traveling. Ryan was looking for the perfect opportunity in his career as a physician and a new home for his young family. Originally from Medford, Ryan had made quite a name for himself. He was a star football player at North Medford High School and had earned a scholarship to Brigham Young University where his talents on the field were just as superior as those off the field. While studying neuroscience, the former Eagle Scout served a mission for the Church of Latter-day Saints in South Korea. But what was most important to him was his family. After graduating from BYU, he attended the University of Texas at San Antonio Medical School, where he was set to graduate in the spring of 2018. On January 7th, after successful interviews in the Pacific Northwest, Ryan departed down Interstate 5 for an interview in Sacramento. As he made his way into the small city of Redding, California, he was unaware of what would happen just a few miles away. Just south of Redding, 28-year-old Grace Ward was driving her 2009 Chevy Impala in the northbound lanes heading towards Redding. At some point, she pulled into the median of the interstate and slowly continued to drive north until finding a gap in the wire barrier separating the north and southbound lanes. After pulling through the gap, 
and facing her car towards oncoming traffic. She called her mother to tell her she was going to end her life by driving head-on into another vehicle. Seven minutes passed, and Grace hung up the phone. Her mother frantically called 911, but it was too late. Grace stepped on the gas after she hung up the phone and began driving towards other drivers. Many were able to maneuver out of the way, but Grace's car smashed into a 2012 red Honda Accord. The car driven by Ryan Folsom. Both cars mangled. Emergency services did everything they could to get Ryan out of the car and take him to Mercy Medical Center. Unfortunately, later that day, he succumbed to his injuries and died. Ryan was just two weeks shy of meeting his newborn son. He didn't get to see all of his hard work and dedication to the medical field come to fruition. They say there is a cosmic sense of humor in the universe, demonstrated by the irony of certain events, the absurdity of it all. Grace Ward, who had tried to commit suicide by driving her car head-on towards another innocent driver, survived the crash. She left the scene with nothing but a broken tibia. Your tibia is the bigger bone on the bottom of your leg, right where your shin is. This non-life-threatening injury would eventually heal. But after receiving medical treatment, she was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Three counts of attempted murder for almost hitting three other vehicles and was slapped with a $1.5 million bail. District Attorney Stephanie Bridget announced the charges in a press conference. The case has now been officially submitted to my office against Grace Elizabeth Ward. She is the individual who chose to drive the wrong way on I-5 on January 7th, ultimately resulting in the death of Ryan Folsom that was submitted today. However, we, I have decided what charges we're going to file against her. We're going to file one count of murder for the death of Ryan Folsom. Going to file three counts of attempted murder for three other vehicles that she intentionally drove towards. We're going to file three counts of assault with a deadly weapon, also related to the other vehicles that she drove towards, as well as a felony count of vandalism based on her actions on, on that day. Ward made a choice that day to use her vehicle to try to kill herself. Um, her choice was very selfish, and the method she used has been determined to be a criminal. Her actions demonstrated a complete disregard for human life and ultimately did result in taking a human life, that being of Ryan Folsom. In the wake of his untimely death, Ryan's childhood friend Ian Cropper posted a GoFundMe page to raise finances for his friend's family one that surpassed almost $150,000 in only a day and a half. I didn't know what to expect. Um, this is just, you know, we knew we wanted to do something. You can imagine, like, the, the mixed range of emotions that one would feel of, you know, on the one end, you've got just total tragedy, and on the other end, you just see this positive example of humanity. 
this terrible, terrible thing happens, and yet at the same time, it reminds you that humanity is out there and that people really do care for one another. On August 28th of last year, Grace took a plea deal. She was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after serving at least 18 years of her sentence. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra, workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, This legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's one thing to want to kill yourself, but to do it in such a selfish way. Taking someone else with you just because you're a little sad or depressed is disgusting and worthy of a murder charge. How is your life any better now, Grace Ward, now that you've taken away Ryan's life, destroyed the lives of his family, taken away a husband and a father, and now serving a life sentence. How is your life any better? There's no doubt that getting behind the wheel of a car, a mundane task we do every single day, is one of the most dangerous things we can do. Terrible things can happen in the blink of an eye. Oftentimes it's the last thing on our mind. We're thinking about work, or relationships, tasks we need to accomplish, goals we've set for ourselves, maybe a conversation that turned into an argument. We're thinking about things that, in the long run, in the grand scheme of things, don't really matter all that much. While operating heavy machinery capable of killing or maiming, it is a glaring example of why we should always pay more attention to our surroundings, why it's preached to put the phone down and keep your eyes on the road. Being aware of your surroundings doesn't just mean 
looking around for serial killers at the supermarket, being suspicious of people in the park. It means there are very real dangers that can threaten our lives. And although probably not as interesting as being stabbed a hundred times by a psychopath, there's absolutely no fun in flying through a vehicle window in excess of a hundred miles an hour. Remember, even if you're the best driver in the world, there are people out there on the road with no regard for your life or theirs. Two o'clock and 10 o'clock. Put your phone down, keep your eyes on the road, And until next time, stay safe.